Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. From the KFOR studios in Oklahoma City, this is The Story. My name is Scotia Moore. I am 42 years old. I'm a wife of an amazing man and a mother to 10 up-and-coming world changers. I'm an advocate and a friend and one who loves my community. And I've lived in Oklahoma for 12 years. I was born in North Carolina, uh, rural North Carolina, to two young parents, uh, ages 18 and 20. So they were very young. And um, I was raised there until I was about four years old. My parents divorced while I was still very young, and we relocated to the D.C. metropolitan area. I grew up in Maryland up through um, graduating college. My mother was a police officer. My dad was Air Force. Don't break the law. Don't get in trouble. That was kind of our, you know, standard of morality. I lived in the wealthiest, predominantly black county in the country. And so my picture of what reality was around the rest of the country for people of color and specifically for African-Americans was very skewed because I got to see people who were wealthy and people who were poor and people who were in authority and those who were not, um, but but they were predominantly African-American. And so I I never had a a limit on what I thought I could become in terms of my perspective. In college, I started off as a biology major. I wanted to go into microbiology. I've always wanted to change the world. And so I thought, oh, I love science. And I thought I could um, become a doctor or a scientist and study disease and cure a disease in the world. That's what I wanted to do. Um, I realized that I didn't have the stomach for my field and I switched over to psychology. So that's, that's what my bachelor's is in, is psychology. So I wouldn't say that I experienced racism growing up. I can't think of a single time before becoming an adult that I ever experienced it. My first 21 years, I would say, were pretty um, sheltered from this issue. And then my last 21 years, I've seen a lot more. One of my first memorable experiences with racism came in an early visit to Oklahoma. My husband and I were newly engaged and had come back to his hometown to just kind of announce that and celebrate that with family. And it was this beautiful spring night and we were walking from his mother's house to his grandmother's house when a pickup truck sped by, screeching tires, um, and yelled the N-word at us out of the window. 
And I had never, I don't remember ever being called that before that moment. That was not an uncommon experience for him or like a foreign experience. But for me, I almost felt stunned, like a deer in the headlights, almost like if you've never been a dangerous situation before and then something happens and you're just like, you should be ducking, but you're standing straight up because you really don't internalize um, the gravity of the situation. I don't think I was afraid. I was more... I, I was more, my thought was more like, is he really talking to us? <laughs> um, but my husband was angry, and I, I can imagine being a man in that situation and, like, the um, embarrassment of that kind of treatment of your soon-to-be wife in your hometown. But for me, it was just like, y you're serious. Are you serious? This, that really just happened. Um, and since then, you know, we've had different experiences as a couple and then as parents that have opened my eyes a lot more to the state of race in our, in our state. That experience could have made me think twice about moving to Oklahoma, but it wasn't my only experience I experienced caring people in Oklahoma, welcoming people in Oklahoma, friendly. I, I came from, you know, an environment where you kind of, you look straight and you walk fast and, you know, you don't, it, it's not considered unfriendly, but in that culture, but here after a few, I, I would drive through my husband's um, hometown and he's like, can you throw a finger up and like, greet people <laughs> passing by and I, I hadn't even noticed that people were doing that and so just the or that they'd let you in in traffic you know so that I, I, that did not taint my overall picture of the people of this state it didn't make me hesitant to move here but it opened my eyes to an issue that I had been previously too naive to really acknowledge as a real issue. We got married in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we lived there for two years. And then we moved to Branson, Missouri, where we had our first six children. We had our oldest in Tulsa, and then we had our next six in Branson, Missouri. He wanted to come back to make a difference in his own state. So my heart was always, you know, wherever you are, that's home for me. Sure, let's go back to Oklahoma and become fully enmeshed in the issues of that state, which is our state now. I've, I've had another three children since living here, and this is home for me. Some of the ways that my husband and I are trying to make a difference in Oklahoma, we have been a part of conversations around race for years. We have engaged race um, since very early on as, an, as a real issue, but also something that can be overcome, where our values for unity and mutual respect can overcome that. So then in this, in Oklahoma, we participated in United Voice Oklahoma, which is a media collaboration that seeks to 
spur meaningful conversation around issues of race in our state. This is the perfect day to launch a new project called United Voice. This is pretty big here. Every single television station in Oklahoma City, every radio station, newspaper, we're all joining together to bring about a new level of dignity and civility when talking about race. Joining us to talk about this project is Scotia Moore. She's been helping to facilitate these very important discussions on race. Scotia, we're glad you're here. Thank you for being with glad us to today. Glad to be here. Thank you. So what we're talking about, it is called um, United Voice. We have Voice. hosted discussions at our home. We have spoken, um, we've spoken on the topic, we've participated in panels, we've led prayer um, around this issue of unity in our state. I have six sons and four daughters, and um, they are ages 19 down to five years old. And their experience with regard to race is very different from mine. They have experienced being the only child of color in a class, or they've experienced being called the N-word, or they've experienced um, having to answer for their entire race um, in a given conversation, or they've experienced being stereotyped like, you know, do you want to grow up and be a rapper? Or, you know, they've experienced those things, whereas I did not experience those, um, but they've also experienced the flip side of it, of us as parents having conversations, particularly with my sons. Six of my children are teenagers right now, so pray for me. <laughs> but um, we have had to have conversations with them about how to respond if someone treats them unjustly or harshly and um, how to respond in a way that doesn't get them in trouble or doesn't perpetuate stereotypes or, you know, they've had the extra pressure of having, you know, take your hoodie off and wear a hat. I know it's cold, but take it off. And so when, when things happen to my children, yes, I experience the grief and the anger, but I don't stop there. I don't stop with that because it's, and I try to comfort them and encourage them, but also remind them of who they are, that they are precious, that they're brilliant, that they are loved, that they have a purpose and a destiny. And I try to remind them of who they really are to, to counter any of those negative experiences. There was recently all of this graffiti on these buildings, this racist graffiti here in Oklahoma City. You, this is Oklahoma's News Channel 4 at 10. We begin tonight at 10 with the search for a racist vandal. Police searching for the person who's... It's not something we stand for in our community. And so, um, you know, we as law enforcement are working together actively. It's clearly a hate crime. And one of them said something like, hang inward kids. And I, um, I had been experiencing some pushback on how much I talk about race. And um, I sent probably a, a, a text that was a little saltier than it needed to be, but I said, I'll stop talking about race when this kind of stuff stops happening in my city. As a mother, that is, I live in the world of 
what I envision could be, and, and I also live in the world of what is. And so I am training my children to move toward what could be while maneuvering through what is as it pertains to race. And so how do we keep a kind heart and a soft heart and an empathetic heart? And how do we see past someone's ignorance or their rudeness even to what their real need is? Because I'm, I'm also trying to train my children just to grow up to be good people. And I hope for our state is that we would be able to honor one another and respect one another and learn from each other and celebrate each other and that we don't have, no one person has to feel better about themselves by putting someone else underneath of them and that we can have enough confidence in ourselves and value for one another that we can work together to make our state better and competitive and successful and really a, um, a destination and an example to the nation. My name is Crystal Hurd. I am 46 years old. I am a wife of Michael Hurd, have two beautiful sons, Joshua and Joseph Hurd. I am an IT professional or engineer at Tinker Air Force Base and have been for 23 years. I have been in Oklahoma. This will be year 45. I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. My father was a truck driver and my mother was a stay-at-home mother then. And my father was looking for a job, got a job here in Oklahoma as a truck driver. So that is how we moved here in 1974. My mother and father, very, very stern <laughs> and loving parents. My father, like I said, was a truck driver. My mother raised us until I was about five, maybe. And then she entered the workforce. She was working at Homeland for as a cashier. She retired just two years ago, actually. She worked there for 41 years. My mother was big on teaching us how to build a home. Her deal was we had to have the house cleaned by the time she got home. Dinner had to be cooked by the time she got home. And, and then we did our homework. <laughs> and so we learned to be independent because my father said to me when I was young, and I'll never forget it, Crystal, you are going to be in a world where you have two strikes against you. You are black and you are female, and you're going to have to work doubly hard just to be noticed to get in the door. And so my father was really big on us doing our best. That was his deal. If we made a B, we could make an A. You're always pushing us to do better. He would use words on us when we were younger, like, Crystal, bring me a piece of stationery. At five years old, I'm like, what is stationery? <laughs> My husband and I actually have known each other since the fifth grade. I liked my husband then, but he was not into he wasn't worried about girlfriends then. He was into books and baseball. That's what he was into. 
We were friends. We had a lot of our classes together because we were both, ironically, we are both engineers. Uh, we both were in the AP calculus and pre-calculus, all of those classes together. So we were study mates. We even went to OU together our first year. So in 1992 is when we started dating officially and then we got married in 1999. We will celebrate 20 years in June. I am an engineer, electronics engineer for the Air Force and I have been in that position for almost 23 years. I had a boss that was a retired Marine, born in the 40s, white male. And I am a black female, born in the 70s. <laughs> and so it was love at first sight. <laughs> and this supervisor had a reputation for micromanaging people, for standing out on the ledge to see when people came in and docking their time, all kinds of things. And I'll never forget, we were working on a project and the boss called us in and fussed and fussed and raised his voice and tried to berate us. And I am a, a I take a lot of notes. And I wrote down the conversation that we had previously, stating what it is we needed to do, what, how it needed to be accomplished. And um, when he started his, his track, I, not to be talked down to, <laughs> stood my ground and said, no, this is what you said. I have it written down. We did it exactly according to the way you wanted us to do it. And so you have no right to talk to us this way. And I'm standing and getting loud, just like he was getting loud. And he, he backed up. And I, I felt good. I was like, you know, my daddy did not raise me <laughs> to take this type of stuff. And from that point on, our relationship changed because he knew that, okay, I can't talk to her that way. Because there are other women who have not spoken up for themselves and have done excellent work, and they still did not get that type of respect. And so I do believe that you have to stand up. You have to. And the work that I'd been doing had been proving I was trying to do excellent work. No matter what, my daddy always told me to make sure I do everything excellent. And so that has been something that I have really tried to do. Everything that I do, I want it to be excellent. And so there was a report that he wanted me to write, and I wrote this report for him. And it was, in his words, flawless. He had never seen a report like that. And it had changed his opinion of me. And not just of me, but I think of black women. And we had a discussion about it, and he said, you know, you really changed my view on black women. He was like, you know, you taught me not to judge a book by its cover. And, and we have been friends ever since, because when I got my first promotion 
that I had to that I had to compete for, it was under him. My first supervisory job came because of him. This man that started out with this preconceived notion, this bias, now is like one of my best advocates and one of the best bosses that I ever had. I haven't really dealt with any blatant racism or blatant discrimination, but you do see the, pre the preconceived biases. A friend and I, we were going to get some food from Panera to take back to our meeting. And one of the, the ladies that was helping us, she, she was, I think she was new. And it was really busy during lunchtime. And so we were waiting for a little bit. And the lady that was with me said something and that was biased, based on bias. And I looked at her and I said, you know what that was, right? And she said, yes, that was racist. And I was like, yes, it was. The old me would have probably not wanted to talk to her anymore. Probably would have said, I, want, I would have let a movie play in my head that said, I wonder what she says about me behind my back. All of that would have happened before. But because I'm on this journey of trying to be more inclusive and being more loving and more graceful, because we, we've grown up with these things for years and it's not going to go away as quickly as we hope it would be. So that's the journey I'm on now, becoming a little bit more loving towards everyone and recognizing that, you know, when we get to heaven, and this is my, not enough realize everybody might not be Christian, but I'm Christian. <laughs> and when we get to heaven, there will not just be black people, white people, Asian, you know, it'll be everyone. And we will, we will, we will need to learn to love and to support and to embrace. I mean, because we are all unique and we all have a gift and if we don't bring it together we can't even get to where it is we need to be. My sons are 18 and 13. So because I have two boys they tug at my heartstrings quite a bit and my husband I had to get to a point because I want to play mama bear and protect. And I had to get to a point to where I knew Michael only wanted the best for them. And at the beginning, I had, to re I had to provide the nurturing piece. But there was gonna come a time Michael was gonna have to take over and raise them. And that was difficult because, you know, a man raises differently. And especially Michael, because we have black sons, you, you are raising them to be um, a contributor in society and to change the, the, the stereotypes that they have. Now, my sons have experienced racism. It's interesting, when I started raising my sons, I started seeing that because my son, and it, and it wasn't when they were younger, it was toward the end of middle school that I started, when my son started playing sports 
baseball in particular at, at, his, at his middle school that I started seeing it. And in high school, and when we would go to different games in different, in different cities, you would see it. And you know, he's even been called the N-word. He works in the fast food industry on the weekends. And there are people that will talk to him in a demeaning way. And we had, we've had to have several conversations with him uh, to tell him how to handle that and how to respond to that. And the last situation that occurred, someone had called him, you know, cursed him, called him unnecessary names. So we've had to constantly tell him, don't take it personal. There are people who just act like that, that feel entitled. They think that they're supposed to have stuff when they want it, how they want, and they can talk to you any kind of way. But you have to continue to show them that that is not how we act. You don't have to respond to that the same way. Like my mother always says, honey catches more flies. <laughs> So we're constantly having to have that conversation with him and making him feel better and quoting scripture and recognizing that, you know what, there will be, when you get older, these experiences will prove very invaluable to you because you will have to help someone go through that or you'll have to learn how to deal with that. I wish I could say that it's not going to happen ever again, but it's not. So you've got to learn how to deal with that. So I'm glad that it's happening while he is under our watch so that we can help steer him in the right direction for that. What I hope my children learn from me is that adversity is growth. I believe they understand that because we, one thing that I've really wanted to do with my kids is to keep an open dialogue with them, that they feel comfortable coming to us about anything and my sons have come and talked to us about things that are going on with school, something mean someone said, or maybe they're comparing themselves to someone else, or maybe they didn't do well on a test. And talking to them about life is not going to be perfect. You're not always gonna ace the test. You are not always going to make the team. The things that you want to do, might, it might not pan out the way that you think. When bad situations come, recognize that it is for your good because you need the adverse situations to grow. For Oklahoma's future, I would hope that we would show love unconditional love to God, to our neighbors, and to ourselves. Because if we do that, I think that we would be on the path that we're trying to get to, to where we're, we are loving each other. Because if you love someone, you don't try to hurt them. If you love someone, you are not trying to steal from them. You are not trying to kill them. You're not trying to spread gossip about them. You're not trying to harm them or defame their character in any way. And I believe that if we do those three, then we could be a model for the rest of the United States to follow.